Oh, it's almost gone. Is it really? Yeah. I thought there was a decent amount. We're starting to run low on the booze. Da 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 da. Hey everyone, I'm Ryan. And I'm Steve, and this is 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, modding, fixing, breaking, reviewing, playing podcast. I feel like I'm leaving something out, but buying, selling, trading, fixing, modding, breaking, breaking, reviewing, playing, playing, reviewing, fixing, displaying, polishing. Steve, I have a question. Yeah. Is the JHS channel ruining the used pedal market? Duh. (laughs) <laughs> all right uh housekeeping Moving is the part on. of the show where <laughs> who yeah. asked us to talk about that in the <laughs> we didn't even write down I who i didn't write it down who suggested i mean the topic. I, other people have asked it right i've seen this come up a few times the latest one is the digitech distortion factory which right right as we discussed last week digitech may be back in commission soon so the distortion factory Eight version eight could be coming soon. I don't think they're gonna make a new distortion factory, but I've seen multiple people complaining about it around the distortion factory. Which I mean, maybe it sounds great, maybe it maybe it's great, but I it's it is it seems really silly to me that that is the thing that I'm seeing people complain about that JHS has bumped up the use value on. Yeah, because yeah. literally no one wanted it before. Just wait until Josh Scott gets into. F- Korg Mikus. And then like, oh, those are already like overpriced. Yeah, and it's gonna get dumber. But no one wanted it, and now people are angry because it's more expensive. So everyone else wants it, and they're angry because they want it too, but now it's more expensive because everyone wants it. It's like you are you, you people are feeding your own problem. Yeah. You do you yeah. realize that the reason you're angry is because you want it, and there's enough other people who want it now too, because of watching Josh make a video about it. That that is the thing that's making you angry because yeah, so, so many the, people want it that now so, it's more expensive. So this pedal's been around forever, and it looks like basically since all of this has happened, there's 605 listings on Reverb, uh, and if you reverse sort them, it looks like of that 605 sold listings, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. 13, 14, 15, And maybe by the time this episode airs, like this will all be blown over and and it'll be back to being 60 bucks again. 22 people have paid uh, for a Digitech DF7 that was listed at $200 or more. Not saying they paid that much. Right. But that's that's what it was listed for. 22 of the 605 that have sold. And that's just reverb. That's not eBay and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, But it's like, that's not... Like people, I think people are overblowing it too because 22 is a significant amount of pedals, but it's not an overwhelming amount of pedals. Right. It's a significant number of pedals for a pedal that like was $50. And I, and I think that's, I think that's the one thing that I will say is like, let's put um, this in perspective. Yeah. There was, there was a pedal that I did a, a demo for okay. a while back mm-hmm. and we heard from the builder that like six or seven sold the first day. Yeah. And this channel is very small in comparison to JHS. And I was still able to move six or seven pedals for a pedal builder Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. my demo. You know, like that's, that's not unusual. 
like 20 something pedals moving after a large channel covers them. That's not unusual, mm-hmm. but the fact that it's a used thing where the pli- the price fluctuates with demand, that is the thing that people are upset about. I, I don't, so where, where I'm kind of lost and I, I haven't really tracked it. Um, I know that this has supposedly happened a few times. I mean, obviously it happened 22 pedals sold over $200. So we don't know how many of the ones that were listed for like 65, right. You know, sold because he talked about them and people want to try it out. Um, but you know, how many of, how many times has this happened? I'm sure some, maybe someone's tried to map it. I think like the DOD. That would be an interesting spreadsheet. I think the DOD gonculator might be somewhere on there. Or like the meat box might be on there. Like some of these DODs. Well, I um, think those were like self-perpetuated kind of like hype things where jo- right. like it was before the JHS channel was the hype machine that it is now. It might not even yeah. exist. I think some of the old Behringers are on there though as well. Like yeah, the- no, Josh Josh definitely started a scramble for the Behringers and sold out a couple retailers yeah. who had them um, in stock because they there wasn't new stock available for a long time. I heard some people talking about the Boss PW3, which I think is the is it the Power Wall. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't actually remember what that pedal is. Let's see if we can find it. Yeah, like the- Boss P W3 Wah pedal. JHS has done an excellent job building their channel. I got to witness. Those are like $100. I got to witness, you know, the way they operate over there firsthand when I went over there uh, just over a year ago. Yeah. And they're taking that channel very, very seriously. They have a, a team. No other guitar YouTube channel has mm-hmm. that many people working on it. I almost guarantee it outside of like a retail shop where like maybe like an Anderton's or something like that maybe has like a four or five person team. I don't know for sure. Maybe they have more, maybe they have less, but Jay just has a small group of employees working on that video channel yeah. full time. Everything that happens on this channel is I'm shooting. I'm editing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a one person job to make the JHS show happen. That's like four people, not including Josh. Like, are you familiar? I know you are, but for the sake of the conversation, I will ask you this: You're from? Are you familiar with the Reddit, the subreddit? Uh, am I the asshole? <laughs> I think I am, but I, I refresh me. So you know, am people go on this uh, on the subreddit and they say things like, mm-hmm. "Am I the asshole?" Uh, my wife asked me to go to the store. And to get uh, yams. So I got real yams. She probably meant sweet potatoes. Oh, so you I got, got the yellow ones instead I got of the, the orange yeah, ones? Yeah, I got the yellow ones instead of the orange ones because We've she said yams. So I, I just got yams. They're still delicious. And when I got home, she was like, why did you get these? You should have known. It's Thanksgiving. You were supposed to get sweet potatoes, but we call them yams because it's Thanksgiving. And we got in a big fight. But am I the asshole? Because I did exactly what she said. Like people will right, do right post stuff like that um but my version of this is uh in this context is uh would be r slash am i the idiot um you know these prices are going up but you don't need no. a digitech distortion factory you didn't need it before so the, the people it's who, not like it's not like the jhs channel wrecked the price of yeah. food uh it's not like it's insulin when you the, know when the prices of these pedals go up the people who win uh, are winning because the people who quote, well, the people who win are winning 
because there are idiots who are willing to pay the prices that they're asking. And the people who lose aren't really losing because they didn't even know the pedal existed in the first place. Every right. once in a while, there's somebody who's like, yeah, the Digitech distort. I don't know, like just using the same example over and over again. I think with the distortion yeah. factory, if you're buying it at 200 bucks, you're going to end up losing money because over time it's going to go yeah. back to being, you know, whatever it was before. Or, or like, I know there was like a Behringer pedal that he made really hot. I don't know if it's still hot, but he drove like the prices super high on it. And there's probably somebody who was like, yeah, every time I went to Guitar Center, I would buy one of those or like, you know, once every three months, I would just buy another one of those, you know, Behringer pedals because the, I, you know, I was always worried I was going to break one. So I have like eight of them and now I can't buy my ninth one because instead of being a $30 pedal, now it's a hundred dollar pedal. Damn you, Josh Scott. It's like, bro, you could like sell six of your pedals right? and just like cash out. This is, this is GameStop for you, man. Like make that money. But it, so it's like. It's, it's an intangible item where he's promoting, usually he's promoting a pedal that is no longer running. A lot of times it's kind of a goofy pedal that maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Right. And it's like... It's like, hey, look I mean, at this thing. Remember this thing? Let's see what it's like. Oh, I think it's actually pretty good because Josh thinks everything is actually pretty good because he appreciates pedals for yeah. what they are. And, you know, there's people who... Um, there's people who what's the word I'm looking for? Who, who set by, who um, just kind of tone chase this stuff. And they're like, sure. Oh, I, it was $30 a week ago. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, then it's your fault for not pulling the trigger with this last one with the, with the distortion factory. I've seen people outright wishing that they could know what Josh is going to cover next. So oh they my gosh. do speculative buying, which is yeah. like, that is the ugly side of this. Like it's one thing for JHS to have a show. And it's not just Josh. There's other people working on this. That's why I keep saying JHS. Like, like Josh is definitely a big part of it, but there's, you know, if people could know what JHS is planning next and they mm -hmm. could snatch these things up first and then be able to flip them and make a hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, I guess like not a bad gig, not a bad gig. I guess it like if you could have known that JHS was going to do the distortion factory and known because not everything that they cover like goes up in value or becomes yeah. instantly desirable and known that that is something that will become instantly desirable and, you know, people will pay extra for it. If you had known that, if you could peer into the future and know that, I guess technically you could have bought. 50 of the things and made a, a really good amount of money. But then you're in the business of reselling things. You're in the business right, of buying right. and now you're in the business of reselling. And you're also and in the business like, of talking to someone who works for Josh or Josh. You're in the business of like espionaging the JHS office with secret cameras and microphones to figure out what they're planning. Like <laughs> the amount of effort that goes into this to make an extra hundred, hundred and fifty dollars on some used pedal to to run this grift and to like there's people who probably think like oh jhs employees are buying up all these pedals before <laughs> the episodes go live so that they can corner the used market there's probably i i i vaguely remember seeing someone like insinuating that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the effort that goes into that and the gamble that goes into that i promise you is not worth it for 
JHS employees. They are too busy doing the work that actually makes them money for them to worry about trying to score profits on pedals when they work for a pedal company. The thing that you're describing sounds a lot like insider trading. And so what I want to know is, is why is it illegal when I buy a bunch of pedals? Because Josh Scott told me, hey, man, I'm going to talk about Digitech Distortion Factory this week. He told me a year ago that he was he was spending time with the Distortion Factory. I could have bought one. You could have bought like 10 of them and you could have made $1,500. And then I'd have to sit on them for a year. And then you'd have to report that money to the IRS. And then what if what if this not the pedal that blows up after he talks about it? Why is it? Then I'm sitting on a dozen Distortion Factories. Yeah. I just want to know why is it illegal for you to do that? But it's not illegal for members of U.S. Congress to sell off all of their pharmaceutical stock right before passing healthcare reform. Right. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Just kidding. We're never getting healthcare reform. <laughs> it's almost like we are close to making a really valid point that's really important. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. The things that we actually worry about when there's actual things to worry about, you know? Now, I don't know if he does this. I, I think he actually does sometimes give a heads up. Uh, and this is, I think, a good thing. And we've talked about this, that, um, and a lot of people applaud the JHS show for its hi- takes on history uh, of the of the gear industry mm-hmm. and also for his uh, promoting of, of smaller brands. Oh, totally. I mean, there's, we know of multiple small brands. Yeah. We do that, know of multiple small brands. That's we true. We do, but that have been featured in their live videos like hey there's a new thing from this company let's check it out And again some of those take off and not all of them do but i think there are cases where uh they will like someone from the team will reach out to that brand and be like hey uh just so you know we talked about you on this week's episode so and hopefully uh hopefully those orders start coming in but don't freak out you know right and and that does happen like sometimes these newer smaller companies will get featured on a jhs video Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're on the map and all of a sudden they only had 15 pedals in stock and now they're out of stock and, and now they have to make more. And, you know, like it's, it, it can, it can be a a windfall and it can be a really good thing for discovering the small builders out there. So in that way, like (laughs) if you're, if you're bitter at JHS channel for increasing the prices of used pedals that you didn't even know that you wanted before they talked about it. I think that's the balance. The fact that they are legitimately helping a lot of small builders just by featuring them on a very big channel that has a yeah. lot of viewers. I, th- You know, there's a balance there. I just, for the most part, I think it's kind of goofy to be, to be mad about. It's about dumb to it be and... mad about it. Like, there's so many other things to be mad about. And, you yeah. know, I'm sure our comment section is going to be full of people who have things that they're mad about. I think it's fun that they can do that. Honestly, I think it's fun that every once in a while he mentions a pedal and everyone's like, Oh, I got this because of this thing. And it's like, uh, did he ever make that happen with the metals? The LA metals? No. Or the Ibanez. Was it the, not the uh, smash box? The- <laughs> well, he was big on the 10 series and he still is. He, he loves the 10 series. Ibanez stuff. A friend of ours was buying up every LA metal that he could find. Because and this was before JH has had a channel because he was convinced yeah. that that Josh in some way would would cause them to blow yeah. up. And I I owned one for a while and it was it was good it was fine it's like a rat variation yeah but I never saw it like 
add any value, you know, <laughs> even like after Josh was in love with the 10 series stuff and videos and stuff like I never saw it go up in value. I think some of them have uh, oh, some, of, some of the weirder ones. And I have the, I had the um, 10 series delay, which was a lot of fun, but yeah, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. You got like, anything else on this? If you wait, oh, long, you do. if you wait long enough, stuff goes back to its normal price. Mm -hmm. And if you bought it when it was high and then you sell it when it's low, you lost money, but you got to try something. If you got to be part of a meme, if you wait long enough, that stuff will be cheap again, and then you can buy it low and then sell it while it's still low, and then you've lost nothing. So just accept your dignity. Just relax. Everyone just needs to relax. Dude, I've heard uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood on the radio twice mm -hmm. this week. That song is about not ejaculating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Relax. Don't do it. When you want to suck it to it. Yeah, relax. Don't do it. When you want to buy a pedal that JHS recommended. <laughs> <laughs> boom 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 is there another part just the same thing again it's just yeah. the same thing again all right ow, this is uh, ow, ow, ow. that's part of this song right i think so uh <laughs> this is a uh, part of the show where i want to do some housekeeping a house uh, just listen you like what we you like what we do here you like what ryan does with the demos no they don't they're head here to watch to, a train wreck head on over to patreon.com slash 60 cycle humcast where for as little as a dollar a month you can help make uh all the things you see on this channel happen yes uh let's do this first ad man you ready to do an ad yeah let's do an ad or is this gonna be a short episode Dude, we haven't done a short episode, episode in like months. We've been going over an hour, hour this 20 is a, all the this time. This was sent by Daniel Esporma. It is a retro rocket. This thing looks amazing. Berg Retro Rocket 2010. Uh, guitar was designed and built by John Berg in Buffalo, New York. The Retro Rocket is the second model in Berg's retro futuristic style guitars. This is a two-tone metallic gold slash black spotted lacquered wonder. The electronics are triple pickup strat style single coils, volume, tone, three-way switch, push button activation of the middle. Oh, that's neat. Push button activation of the middle pickup. The bridge um, is a strat style trim. The neck is a maple 22 fret, 25 and a half scale length, lubricated. Uh, oh, it has a lubricated Delrin nut and recessed rocket headstock. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, help with behind the neck bends. That's a neat idea. So it's a recessed headstock. So it's kind of doing the, um, it's kind of doing like the Gibson angle thing, but it's, yeah. instead it's recessed to achieve that. Uh, neck is equipped with, equipped with a hot rod double. These are just not. There's they actually say very little. The specs of don't. The specs don't really matter. The looks of this thing are what matters. Yeah, this thing looks. I every cool. part of this is done. Excellent. Like there's sometimes there's themed guitars that we cover that are cartoony in kind of like a bad way or like in like, uh, you know, it's kind of like cheap looking like this is cartoony and like, mm, oh, chef's kiss. It is so perfect. And every is not cartoony in a sloppy way. Every detail is really well dialed in multiple different materials for the pit guard melding together in perfectly cut ways, custom knobs and little appointments and things like that. The two-tone body, the shape of it is fantastic. Yep. Like this is me nerding out as an artist right now. The shapes here are fantastic. It's hinting at this like 
retrofuturism, Cadillac, tail fin sort of thing going on with the butt end of the guitar without being one of those guitars just like, oh, oh we just carved a Cadillac tail fin. It hints at that. It puts yeah. your mind in that direction, takes your eye that direction while still being a really good shape and dimensionality for a guitar. The output but, jack is like a little, like an engine. Oh my gosh. Like I'm a an, rocket. I don't see a single detail on this that I'm not into. Uh, I got a couple. Okay, what are you not into? Uh, I don't like the the like I the pickup concept is great. The execution on the bridge pickup is is like a well, it looks seven out of ten. It looks like a Strat pickup that they put into something resembling a mini P90 sort of thing. Yeah, it's just not centered. It's it's well, what's going on is that the holes are not perfectly lined up, so the the outside two posts are kind of like cross-eyed <laughs> no exactly exactly but i i don't i think that's an acceptable little detail for everything else that's going on right here like i love this speckled finish in the black part of the guitar yeah i've never seen that before i love it because i've never seen it before the different the different metallic textures in those segments of the pit guards wrapping around those custom knobs. There's so much like little layers to yeah. everything. It honestly, like the bridge looks fine. It's a it's a normal strap bridge. Yeah. But compared to all the other hardware that was custom made for this, it's like the bridge feels like the most underwhelming part of this mm -hmm. guitar because mm -hmm. it's just a stock strap bridge. And the headstock is beautiful. Like it's this sculptural sort of like attention to detail. Yeah, and textures and metallic reflective surfaces and inlays and stuff the, like that. The inlays on the fretboard are fantastic. The strap buttons are amazing. It says Berg, Berg Guitars 2000 whatever. 2000 whatever the Even the backplate. Yeah. Yeah, is, the backplate's cool too. <laughs> like this is, this is probably like top shelf as far as themed guitars that I think we've ever seen on the show. Like this is this is scratching so want, many itches for me. I want this in green, at, but so it would be a future, yeah. Futurama guitar, dude. If that black section was a metallic green with like dark blue and maybe silver speckles, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, or even green with gold metallic and blue, or or something like that in the green like that would be an incredible finish but it's it's, it's perfect as it is because it kind of looks like a galaxy sort of like yeah, starscape yeah. sort of thing this looks really cool oh my gosh i just i i love looking at it retro rocket it said in the in the script that it was um the second model so i kind of like what was the other model yeah and it, you know like it's expensive but this definitely earns its price. I mean, it's three grand. It's it's there. You can easily it's not spend, expensive for what it is. You can if, easily assuming it plays yeah, great. You can spend three grand on some very boring looking guitars, and yeah, who knows how it plays? Who knows? I what? mean, everybody and their mom is drooling over the freaking Veritas ripoff of the first act VW guitar, and that <laughs> thing's three grand. <laughs> Give me a freaking break. <laughs> Steve's got a hot take. I just can't see a take that hot take to, to Twitter. Steve. I just can't see a segmented pit guard without thinking of oh man, Rever the first act VW. Reverend just put out the new Billy Corgan and it doesn't have the segmented pit guard and it looks so much better. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it looks way better. <laughs> I love a second. Wait, hold on. Ryan, did you look at the new Reverend Billy Corgan and think, you're the one for me. You're all I really <laughs> need. need. That is a great song. That's Those are the only words in the song right now. So. Maybe I, I think it's great because I grew up with it. But now I want to hear it. Zoomers, how do you? What do you think about the Smashing Pumpkins? Are they a good band, or are you like, why do why do older people listen to this nonsense? Why do you think we have Zoomers listening to this show? I know, right? <laughs> Zoomers, people who are half our age. What do you think? When you get old enough to listen to this podcast, oh my gosh, let us know. That's not what I meant. I meant like we're not cool enough for them. Anyway. What if that happens, Steve? Where? Where younger generations discover the podcast well after we're done with it. I don't think it's going to happen. No, I don't think people really discover podcasts after the end. No, it's kind of like you go to the grave. Yeah. Once your podcast is over, it's over. Um, Yeah, three grand. It's, I don't, I wouldn't normally say this, but it seems low. It seems low. It seems low for this. Because there's all kinds of very boring, very plain guitars that you could buy for three grand. And then this exists. I mean, I think it tells you a lot about actually the the balance between um, art, artistry and mm. guitar building. And, you know, this is uh, from all the everything said in the description. This is an American built guitar uh, built by. By hand or mostly by hand. Without looks, I don't even care where it was built. Um, and uh, and you know you're sitting here saying it should be worth more. It should be like one of those warrior lamb guitars. It belongs in a museum. You know you know the warrior guitars. They make the the guitars where it's like they're all very religious themed. Oh, I don't know. They, I know they like carve. They carve lambs and uh, you know. Bible scenes into guitars and sell them for like nine thousand. You don't know. About I'm imagining these? it, but I don't. I don't think I've ever seen them. Oh, how have you never seen these? It There's, should be I've, a whole this whole segment on the show is us just looking at these warrior Christian guitars. Let me find a, one of the gnarly. Here's one. That looks like a PRS. That one is that one's pretty normal. That one's not one of the two wild right. ones. I get the vibe of what they're going with, and it's not my vibe. And they're all and they're very expensive. They're it's, like that booth at NAM that has like the the quilted mermaid inlays on everything. Here's one. I believe that is Oh my gosh. I believe that's a uh, like a painting of David and Jonathan. Like shooting arrows shoot, out, in the woods. out in the woods. Yeah. Getting their archery on. You know, you know the boys in the woods shooting arrows around like Bible. Oh, times. this is the one I was trying to find. It's like wood carved Jesus on the cross, on the cross. This is a little bit of modification away from being a very metal guitar with all those thorns. Like if if you could modify that Jesus to be a skull, oh and it'd be like, oh man, this is so hardcore. I think that guitar is like seven or eight thousand dollars. Yeah, I bet when it was when it when it came out. Like 20, I bet someone bought it ago. too. So all, I, the, all the people that wear like the guys that wear the 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 God's Gym shirts with the sleeves cut oh off. Oh my gosh! I asked who's going to buy this. this I, we're talking about. We're, I'm going to have to track down these guitars to put them on screen now. Steve. This guitar is uh, this guitar is. I kind of makes me think of. Uh, the space 
at Nam where like Baronick is. Yeah, totally. Frank Brothers, where like you know, the like the boutique builder you know, showcase. Cower is yeah. usually in there. Where for what it's worth, Cower and uh, and Frank Brothers are making very traditional oh guitars, but in comparison, Baronick is probably somewhere in between them and this. But there are a lot of guitars in the area that are like, you look at it and you're like, I don't even understand what inspired this. Right. I understand what inspired this. Um, this from is a from a pop culture fan standpoint, but from a guitar standpoint, I'm looking at this and going like, that is a very wild design. It is. Imagine the balls you have to have to play this on stage and pull it off. Like imagine what clothes you have to be wearing. Well, so that's to the play thing. this on stage and pull it off. You know, uh, you know what, what band could have pulled this off easily. The phenomenons, the phenomenons. So like, it's so good that it's like, it's, so, it's on the nose. You know, it almost has to be used ironically, you know, like, you think so? Like I could see uh, a Rick Nielsen playing this where mm. it's like, yeah, if you yeah. put it in a space theme band, then it's almost too, it's too much on the nose, too much camp, too much camp in one place. Right. You need to play this not in a space theme band, but in a land it's a, theme band. It's Umba Koch, uh, I'm saying the word wrong. It's a hat on a hat. It's a hat on a hat. It's a hat on a hat. Do so you, like it, like if man or Astro man played this, it would be too much, too much. It'd be too much. But like with a band that's not space themed, but then they have a member that gets away with like some wild, crazy stuff. Like that's the band. I could see Billy Gibbons playing this. Mm, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, you know, or like I could see like a Brian Setzer playing this. Oh yeah, totally. Or you got that throwback, but it's like, you're throwing back in two different directions at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know uh you thinking about like space bands made me think about space jam <laughs> space jam dvd space jam dvd space jam dvd space jam dvd speaking space of space jam, jam dvd you know who space may or may not harmonize with me space jam dvd 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 space you know Ryan, who might have a space jam dvd and might not are the guys over at chase bliss audio oh you mean the sponsor of our little program that's right that's right. They make this pedal the habit. It just came out. Oh boy, it is wild. How wild is it that this pedal just came out and you have serial number three thousand one hundred and ninety-three? I wonder if those serial numbers are, you know, if that's the actual count or they're just it's like the first two digits stand for something, or like one of the digits oh. stands for like third batch. You know what? Of- uh, uh, do you have a mood? Uh, yeah, you have both the it's right back there. Yeah. Tell me what cereals I have on those, Steve. Well, Ryan. The cereals might be on the boxes. The pedals don't have cereals. Oh, shoot. I think these came in as like launch demo pedals. So they might've been pre-serialized. Interesting. So that I think the cereals might be on the boxes with those. Uh, But yeah, I've got serial number. What made me think about that? 3,193. Because you were saying like, well, maybe it's not 3,000 
193. Maybe it's a series. And I know they did mention that. Maybe it's counting that, down until they like it starts oh high God. and it counts down until they until they stop producing. It. I know they they there was a in one of the videos they said that the habit is like the third in a spiritual series with the blooper and the mood. Right. So I thought like maybe if this was a, if the blooper was a whichever one was first was like a 1000 number and the other one was a 2000 i'm gonna say but then something you can only bold. make a thousand of each and they definitely made more than a thousand i'm gonna say something bold about this okay i think in, be bold ryan in be strong. this in this trilogy of petals yellow pink and blue i think the habit is at its core the most conventionally usable mm. even though like in, in a lot of videos it probably seems like it's the freakiest right it's way easier to dial this in to be a normal like delay pedal sort of thing mm-hmm. where these want to be loopers. They want to be granular right. noisemakers. They want to be freaky deaky. And this wants to be freaky deaky too, but at its core, you can dial it in to be a really normal run of the mill delay. And then you can slowly eke in little freaky glitchy things or just go all the way full blown glitchy. But I'm, I have a feeling that this is going to live on my board for a while and I'm going to get some real practical use out of it where these, I pull them out when I want to get experimental, you know, when I want to like explore Mm -hmm. sections of my brain that have never experienced audio sensations before. Like these are what I grab and I can get in that territory with this as well. But yeah, it's way more conventionally usable at its core. So if you want to be like Doja Cat and get freaky deaky, Head on over to chaseblissaudio.com and buy the habit. There you go. Buy two of them so you have them in stereo. What's new, Ryan? Buy one for the future just in case JHS covers it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And doubles the price, and then you'll be rich. It will have been worth the investment. Listen, guys, going back to the JHS thing, if all you want to do is get ahead of the curve, you have to buy every pedal. Ten of every pedal that was ever made. And then when he covers a pedal that was made before, you're you're sitting on gold, baby. Boom. <laughs> I, I want like a judge's gavel at the end of a thing. Dun, oh dun. <laughs> All right, man, what's new? Oh, what is new? I mean, I, at this point, we're full-blown into publishing uh, Guitar House content, so I hope everyone's enjoying that. It took, uh, it took a little while to get everything set up to have that happening, but I'm sure yeah, all sorts of videos yeah. are out by now. Uh, which we didn't really talk about Guitar House at all last episode, but I, I worry that like people are gonna get sick of hearing about it because, like, for a lot of, of all the videos and whatever. because of all the videos and a lot of us that were there are publishing about it on social media a lot because mm-hmm, honestly, mm-hmm. we had such an amazing experience. Like, a lot of the people that were there, a lot of the channels that were there, it really just me and Perfecto were. And, oh, Sean Pierce Johnson are the exceptions there. But the other channels that were there, this was their first guitar YouTuber event. Right. And I remember that. I remember that kind of like high you get from that. Yeah. Like the first time you get to be in a working environment, in a social environment that's pleasurable and fun, working with people who do what you do when normally you do this from home and you're all alone. Like it charges you up in Mm -hmm. a way that – you don't get very often in this line of work. And to be able to see that in working class music, Jason and Tia, to see that in Mike, to see that in RJ, to see that in everyone who is there who's even done these things before. With Emily, mm-hmm. is it her first event like this? Like, it's 
it got me right there. And like in the, the feels, but in the feels and the last day that we were filming normally at these end, at the end of these things, everyone's exhausted. It's just like, let's hang out. Let's have some drinks. Let's have some food. And then like, let's just chill. We had dinner the last night and people went back to filming. And I was like, I was in the process of like turning off lights and shutting things down. People like, no, no, no. We want to keep going. They got Man. this, they got this second win and they were so stoked to keep filming. So they, you know, people kept filming here until like nine 30 at night. And it was this big, like everyone hugging love fest last day of summer camp sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm sure we're going to be publishing videos from this thing for weeks, if not months, because so many were shot and, you know, people can spread them out over their channel yeah. to fill things yeah. out. But I just, you know, little update. I promise I won't mention again on the podcast to bore you guys. But it, it meant a lot to us. And, you know, like both our sponsors for the podcast were involved, Chase Bliss and Big Ear. And, of course, Sweetwater and Daddario as well. And everyone else involved who, who helped make it possible. Like it was something special. Mm -hmm. Like it was more than just like. Oh, let's make content because this is our job. Like it like it it affects you emotionally to do these things. And it, it Ryan felt an emotion, guys. I, I felt one emotion for the first time in my life in my life. No, like like it, it it really is like this amazing thing for the channels involved. And I hope that you know the audience enjoys it too across yeah. all the channels. I, I was at home the second day. Uh I got sick. Mm. And actually I would like started to rally out towards the end of the day Friday. And I was just kind of like, you know what? If I try to go over there, like, and get other people sick, yeah. that's a bummer. You're going to ruin also, people's weekend. Also, like, the fact that, like, I took the day off of work because I was sick and basically laid on the couch all day, like, barely moving. Then to pop up at, like, 6 o'clock and be like, hey, Melissa, I'm going to Ryan's. Like, that's yeah. kind a of... A lot of those people are going to be at NAM, So we're, yeah, yeah. we're going to have an opportunity but to I, hang out with I was super more. bummed because I was I was sitting at home because I figured you were busy over here. And people were posting all their to their stories and whatever on Instagram. I'm like, repost, repost. Yeah. I, was, I was living vicariously through it and, like, so bummed that... I, I couldn't. Uh, you got to come over the first night yeah. and you got to come over for 10 minutes. So you could make it into the intro. Yeah. Yeah. I make it into the intro. <laughs> you're actually in the intro pretty significantly <laughs> considering you're not in anyone else's videos. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we can, we can, I can make up for some of that at Nam. I'm yeah, looking forward yeah. to Nam. So, so yeah. Do you have anything else new? That's it, man. I just wanted a, that's it. That's all. Sure. I got nothing. All right. I'm a loser. You're not a loser, Steve. You'll, Actually, you, do have, you do have stuff going on new in your life, but at this point, we don't know. Yeah. If what you can I will talk about say it. is, let's see, second, the day that this episode comes out could be a life changing day for me. Mm -hmm. But because of the things that could happen in the next 10 days or two weeks right. leading up to that, I'm not going to talk about it. Sure. So. It's kind of like where you don't talk about, you don't tell people that you're pregnant until yeah. you're sh pretty sure that it's locked in and yeah. definitely viable because yeah. it would just bum everyone out. If And no, my wife, my wife is not pregnant. Steve is pregnant. Um, He's a Mr. Mom. Oh my gosh. Uh, so the next time we record, I might have a uh, big news, big news, big news or, or sad news. We'll see. We'll Steve see is getting new bones, entire new skeleton. It's uh, adamantium. It's going to mm -hmm. be sick <laughs> unless I die, which is why I don't want to talk. It's, it's either going to be sick or you're going to be sick. Yeah. You know? On May 9th, I'm getting an adamantium transplant. <laughs> it will either be sick or I will get sick and die before the next time we record. How's your, how's your healing factor, Steve? 
Well, that's part of the process. You just uh, just got done telling us that you were sick over yeah. the weekend. I don't think your healing factor is ready for that hot, hot, <laughs> impervious metal. That hot, hot heat. That hot, oh. hot liquid metal all the, be pumped into your body. I'm going to come back after all that hot, hot heat, and I'm going to be covered in bandages. And you know what? Wolverine lucked out. He got knives coming out of his hands. What if you get spoons, dude? <laughs> Like luck of the draw. There's a lot of other cutlery out there. If okay, so like the <laughs> knives, they go shink. What sound do spoons make? Boy, oy, 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 Boing. Oy. <laughs> Makes a clicky sounds. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> your superhero name is Spoon Man. <laughs> At least I already got a theme you song. Got a theme song. <laughs> Just like eat soup. Uh. Bone man. <laughs> this is a really bad, like, this isn't even Mad Magazine. This is Cracked Magazine version of X-Men. That's how old we are. Cracked used to be a low-rent version of Mad I'm, Magazine. I'm, I am still, I until I see, hold a physical copy of my I hand, had a couple of them. You did? Okay. Cause yeah. I have been convinced for years that that's just a Mandela no, effect. That no, it, I owned one. I, I I owned the one. I, of course, I did. I owned the one that had a big like spoof piece on the Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So of course, I owned that. Okay. Yeah. You want to do an ad, man? <laughs> most of it was about. Apparently not. Most of it was about Troy's boobs. <laughs> because of course it was. <laughs> if it I was probably twelve or thirteen. <laughs> If it would have come out like three years later, it would have been about seven of nine's boobs. Sure. I, I don't, I do think it predated Voyager. Yeah. Well, if it was about, te- oh, yeah. I bet well, I could look up which, if you were 12, it issue. definitely would be Voyager. Didn't start until what? 95, maybe 94. Has, it might've been in there. It might. I don't know. I'd have to look up the issue. It might've had uh no, because Seven didn't come into later. So oh, that's right. She that's definitely right. wouldn't have been in there. Even if Voyager stuff was in there, she wouldn't have been in there. Spoonman's real secret power is figuring out whether or not Seven of Nine is in a, a synopsis of Star Trek based <laughs> on the date of the of the year published. <laughs> no healing power. Just <laughs> trivia powers. <laughs> Very specific trivia powers. Oh my I bet there is an X-Men that has trivia powers. I hope so. <laughs> he's, he's like a level one mutant. Have you ever thought about that? Like, so I don't get into the comic books, so so I'm sure, sure someone will be like, "Oh no, you're wrong about that." But they always talk about like all of these, um, like, "Oh, Reed Rich, like who's smarter, Reed Richards or Tony Stark, or you know this other guy, or you know all of these like super intelligent, like that are inventing Peter Parker." Doc Ock, like all of these super geniuses. The smartest comic Green Goblin is probably Heathcliff. Why is that? He made friends with the man-eating giant. I that's a smart move. And he also like terrified the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So two skills. He knows where his allegiances are, and it's not with the human beings, it's with the giant. Yeah. So so my thought is is like you always see these things and they're always like Oh, well, you know, do, do, you know, the Avengers, the whole thing is like, oh, well, do, 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 all this thing. Where's the Avenger who's like, oh, yeah, you think you're real hot shit, Tony Stark? Well, who led the 1941 New York Yankees to the fucking World Series? Yeah. Bitch? And then Trivia Man shows up. I know. Yeah. I, well, I know about Star Trek. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know which Star Trek was running when that happened. None of them. None of them. I know which episode of Star Trek visited that game. <laughs> That's a time travel story. Guinan was there. <laughs> Turns out Guinan was the one who told Branch Ricky to sign Jackie Robinson. <laughs> All right, let's let's do some more guitar content. <laughs> this ad was sent by Jeremy Talcott. Um, I forget which one we're doing. This is the, the Epiphone, Epiphone double double cut TV yellow Epif- double TV yellow double cut Epiphone. Oh my gosh! That's it. No other description. All I will say about this is this is a very double cut Epiphone. It's very double cut. Too many double cuts. Too many, too, too many double cuts. Like, think about how much mint is in double mint gum. This has more cuts than that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not more cuts, but, like, the cuts are too deep. And the problem is that they were trying to convert a single cut Mm. bolt-on neck Les Paul special. Or junior. It's junior, right? Or is it a special junior? This is the special with P90s. Special one, I think. They were trying to convert it into a double cut. So the bottom horn looks almost correct. Mm-hmm. The top horn does not. And the I way mean, there that, is a double cut Les Paul that has that kind of horn. Is there? You find the picture, Steve. I don't believe you. But the fact that they cut wood away from the neck joint when it's a bolt on, it just looks wrong. It makes the neck so long, too. My, and that that pickup, there must be. I mean, it's not that extreme, but the Les Paul double cut is not symmetrical. I'm not saying it's symmetrical. I'm saying that the shape of that is wrong. That's fair. The shape of both horns is wrong, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's these. This is like the Florentine cut version, right? Of the Les Paul double cut. It doesn't look like a a Gibson product anymore. The way that it's mm-hmm. cut and the way that the neck pickup is butted up against the neck that way and actually butted up against the edges of the neck cuts itself is wild looking. I don't think I've ever seen a neck pickup framed against the edge of a guitar as dramatically as that. Well, some of it is because of the way that's cut because it like you look at this is a like you're going to feel the pickup with your hand when you play on those upper upper frets. This is the Les Paul studio. Right. And I, I know the cutaway doesn't go that deep, but it is pretty much, but there's a little bit of gap for the pickup ring, but it is butt right up against the neck. Like right. the pickups are. But that's that's because it's meant to be designed yeah. that way. Yeah. There's no wood left around this, <laughs> this neck heel because it's all pickup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no wood left to hold the neck on there. Like it's holding on by like a half of an inch of wood by like, Three inches. They describe this as TV yellow, but I, I think, think the picture is just it's faded. Like white. No, the picture is just. You think it's faded? It's not faded, but it's like bad you lighting. Think it's that bad? And they probably put like an Instagram filter on it or something like that. It's oh. that. Am- it, no, it's a. It's that American Apparel style photograph. Oh my gosh. Like this, you know, you just put some sort of like overly skinny model <sighs> with single flashlight lighting on them, like just flashbulb lighting. Looking you, like they're you, a little bit scared to be at a photo shoot. Like, are you saying that this photo is under underpaid, underage, and potentially child porn? Definitely exploited. I'll say definitely. There's an exploitation situation going on Eesh. with this photo. That's a, I, I, why is that the first like 
When I think of American Apparel now, I just think of like American Apparel creepy. Yeah. Anyway, I was we were there was a wild time in there. It's weird to think back about how bad a lot of retail stuff was. Yeah. Like American Apparel. I started to watch this documentary on Abercrombie and Fitch. And I, I had to walk away from it. And I was like, oh, this is just gross. And everything, everyone that loved this stuff was gross. And I didn't like them back then. And I don't like them now. And I know this is about how we're not supposed to like them in a way. But, man, it's, it's gross to watch this. Yeah, you don't want to, like, relive it. Because at the time, you're like, at the time, not, like, I, you probably got the catalogs being in, like, the in the industry or, like, saw the catalogs. I didn't see those until we, later. I saw the catalogs for American Apparel. Uh, by the time I was in the apparel industry, um, Abercrombie was kind of on the way out. Oh, okay. Yeah, the mid, like, the mid-early 90s Abercrombie catalogs were, like, bizarre. It's like, how are you? Oh, you're selling women. You're selling women's t-shirts by having a naked woman on a horse. How does that work? No, like it was like most of it was like naked dudes. There were a lot of naked dudes. Like it was like, yes. I mean, the one thing that stands out in, in the documentary that I watched, like I, I maybe got like half an hour into into it. It was like Amber Crombie provided awakenings for a lot of homosexual men. Oh my gosh. So, so maybe that's a positive for the people out there that appreciate that that functionality of what they did, but like the culture of who those products were for and the way they marketed themselves. And why are we talking about this? We're talking because about you said that that's what this photo looks like. Which no, is, it totally which is does. Correct. It totally does. Uh, I don't know. You got anything? It's else? gross. It's gross. Go watch that documentary if you're curious. You're going to see a lot of like very naked ripped men in that. So if that's your thing, go watch it. You got anything else to say about this? <laughs> I don't. All right. I got one. How, more. Do I we got know one, how much they want for it? 400, 400, not worth it. No, I got one thing to say about this though. Uh, what kind of band do you, you play this in? You play this in a Cheryl Crow cover band because the first single double cut is the deepest. All right. Oh my gosh. This last ad was sent by. I was going to say you play it in a Clash cover band and you smash it. Well, there you go. So reproduce that, the, that iconic album cover. This last ad was sent by RR. Who uh, is this mysterious RR? Um, and this, Rich Richards? Reed, Reed Richards? Reed Richards, the Reed, smartest man. Reith, Reith Richards. This is a Keith Richards custom signature signed stage played Provenance. Rolling Stones gear. This is sold by Nate's autographs on eBay. They're asking $1.5 million. $1,500,000. Did this sell? Let's find out. Keith Richards Custom. We don't have any description here, but it just says that uh, it's got provenance and it's signed by Keith Richards and it is stage played. It says two doc love and prescriptions. Presumably that's Keith Richards. Uh, Does it have all six strings or is it strung the way that he strings guitars? Um, it does have all. Wait, didn't he leaves off the high or the low? I think he leaves off the high E and he might leave off the low E. I forget. I know he's a five stringer. Either way, this has all the strings. Ah, it's not authentic. Um, I wonder if he has a... Oh, I can't tell in the photo. Wait, here we go. All right, here's... Uh, it looks like he's got... 
Oh, he might have left off the high E in the photo. I don't, I don't know what he actually does. I don't. I've, I've, I've never the, been a big ad. enough fan to care. Scarce uh, Heath Richards' custom-made guitar used for Richards in the recording sessions for some girls on the Rolling Stones' 1978 uh, tour in support of the album, and also in the music video signed and inscribed by Richards to Doc Love and Prescriptions. Keith Richards' good, good, good. the guitar was custom-made for Richards by his go-to luthier Ted Newman Jones. Whose mother of pearl inset on the back of the guitar reads in seventy seven, indicating the year it was made. Shortly before, blah blah blah, whatever. This was only made four years before I was born. Uh, Richards is photographed holding the guitar. That's a different guitar being held, but that you know. So there's a bunch of story here. The instrument was a guitar Newman built for Keith, copying the Fender Telecaster style and using a Fender Telecaster. Um, Rosewood model neck. Keith used the guitars in Newman. Someone tell me where all the modifications that were made. Newman built body was given to Schechter, who fitted it with a Fender Tele style neck and new bridge pickup assembly. So that's when all those changes were made, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think the important thing here is one and a half million dollars. Like. You can't live in it, you know? And, I mean, I guess if you've got the money to throw around and you're a huge Rolling Stones fan, you probably you probably don't have a lot of your life left to live. You're probably very old in that scenario. Not very, but old enough that, like, you're probably on the edge of retirement mm-hmm. or past it. I guess if you want to buy something to tickle your fancy... As you're, you know, easing into the golden age of your life sort of thing. Not to get too morbid, but, you know, on your way out. Mm -hmm. I guess it's one way to spend your money and have a thing that you cherish, you know, that represents your youth or something like that. Or it's a super rich C situation and you just want to burn something. (laughs) You want to have the most expensive fire possible. Um Man, it is really hard for me to wrap my head around paying that much money for a guitar, no matter who signed it, no matter who owned it and stage played it. Like, like if it was his main guitar that he played for years and years and years and years, like, I would understand it more, but it kind of seems like it is stage played a yeah, couple it, times, it's, maybe. It's tough because he has this, there's this picture here uh, in there. Like, it, it does seem like they may be able to establish provenance. Sure. Um, there's, you know, multiple pictures where he is holding a guitar that looks like this one. However, one of the keys to the story is that this guitar was given to Schechter, who in the 70s and 80s was like a high-end right. hot rod shop. Yeah. To do, and then Schechter did these modifications, et cetera, et cetera. So then it kind of, you know, it kind of loses it there because the guitar in the pictures does look decidedly different from the guitar in that's that you're getting. Um, namely, again, the body and, and all that is uh, looks the same, but it's uh, it says uh, Schecter Bridge. Um, but the 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 pickups are different, or at least one of the pickups is different for sure. And the bridge is different. No, the pe- the person so replaced. The person buying this doesn't care about the hardware, right? They care about 
it being in the same room and, and being held by a guitar hero. Which it does seem like it establishes that. So the other thing is they to, to establish the provenance, they say like this is uh this was from uh the some girls recording sessions. Um I only know one of the singles from that album. I really wonder the biggest single was a song called Miss You. Do you know that song? Rolling Stones Miss You? I, I don't think so. Uh, um, the one I do know is Beast of Burden. <laughs> I really wonder if we'll see this kind of collector's pricing sort of thing happening with our generation and younger generations. Do you think like we're going to see pricing like that on, say, like a base from Muse? You know, like something like that. From okay, I will say, are we gonna see like a a a Green Day guitar go up for so, auction? So I, for I really like two million dollars when we're in our sixties. I would really love viewer listener feedback on this one. My gut is that there are artists. Well, I guess the Rolling Stones are the equivalent of more of a. Soundgarden to Nirvana sort of thing because it's like yeah, one of the, yeah. the the two big British invasion bands like there's the Beatles and there's the Rolling Stones like those are the big big boys so like you if you put mm-hmm. it in terms mm-hmm. of like 90s bands then it's like it is your Nirvana or your Soundgarden sort of sort of situation yeah. so like I could see a Kurt Cobain guitar going for significant money like that. Yeah, I could, I could. But I'm having trouble imagining a Soundgarden guitar going for one and a half million. Well, because I think the thing is, is that with Soundgarden, you don't think of a, there's not a, there's to, not a at guitar. least to me, there's not a guitar. Whereas Nirvana, okay, here's the guitar, here's right. the Nirvana guitar that's going to hit a million dollars. It's one of the ones that you've seen it's MT, it's, on stage. It's the acoustic guitar from MTV Unplugged. Sure. Of, that, of course. that guitar someday will sell for a million dollars. And if you think I'm wrong, go fuck yourself because you're wrong. <laughs> oh, damn. No, I agree with that. I, I agree. Like that guitar, it, it might not hit a million dollars until we're like in our 60s. No, but like, it will hit a million dollars. The Gen Xers out there that have money. Yeah, they're going to they're going to be in their 60s when we're in our 50s. Why am I? Why do I cuss more on the second? Episode? I don't the The Gen? Yeah, that's I true. think, that's or maybe true. like just the anticipation of having this be over. That's what it really is. Let's be honest. Um, I, I, but aside like, from Nirvana, though, I could see like a Chris Cornell personal guitar going for big money, but a guitar that's just like this was held a few times, maybe got a little bit of stage play from Chris Cornell. I can't see it fetching one and a half mil. Maybe I'm totally wrong. We'll see. We'll see in, you know, the next two decades. And, and the difference here is like, you know, we're talking about a, a Keith Richards guitar that is at, at this point in time, like 45 years old. Right. Something right. like that. Um, and those are, those are at least ones- the provenance traces it back 45 years. So what's like, what guitarist from like, in, and it, it, 40, it came from a later era. And, and the still, other thing, they were still making really good music in that era, but it did come from yeah. a later era. Like if it was a guitar that Keith used in the '60s, I would feel like oh, that number makes a bit more sure. sense. It's like it's kind of like late Rolling Stones. It's not prime Rolling Stones, right? Right. Where like 
And that's the thing with a Nirvana guitar is like, you know, cut off There's, at his prime. And the thing yeah. with the Beatles, they quit before yeah, they're, they're, they could suck. There are know? only <laughs> there are only prime Nirvana guitars. Right. Where Soundgarden kept going. They didn't they didn't have quite the same tragic ending. Right. Um, but basically the question you're asking is, and the problem is, is I just there, I can't think of an equivalent. Once you get past 1995, I can't think of anyone where the things that is, the thing is that that's going to piss us off when we get older, when we get into our sixties, close to retirement or past retirement, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, isn't going to be like, oh, wow, did you hear that the Chris Cornell guitar is sold for $3 million? Wow, did you did you hear about that? That's not going to piss us off. What's going to piss us off is when, like, a guitar that the offspring used sells for five hundred grand or something like that. We're going to be like, really? Come on. So, okay, so... <laughs> I can only, I can only, think, or if there's a sublime guitar that goes up for auction, I can only think of like a couple guitars that, and again, I'm assuming the next 40 years. Sure. I'll be 80 right? in 40 years. Yeah. So, so we will, I won't, I don't plan on being alive in 40 years. I'll be surprised if, if I'm alive if, in 40 if, years, if I'm alive, um, I'll be surprised. No. So, uh, so, and we've talked about this before the current artist that in 40 years, and it might even be kind of the equivalent to this is that weird cream sickle telecaster that Jack White's playing right now. Hmm. If in 40, if in 40 years, the, Oh, this is a guitar that Jack White used to record a solo album. I don't even know what it's called. This is the, you know, here's the thing like Jack White has used so many guitars that that's a little bit hard to pin down. Uh, I'd say that obviously the most valuable one from his collection is going to be is, is the, the, the Resiglass Airline. Yeah, like that is going to be like you know iconic Jack Black, not Jack Black, Jack White. Yeah. Jack Black is the actor. Uh, <laughs> Jack White, like here is his guitar, mm -hmm. you know, prime era for White Stripes sort of thing. And then all the, his other guitars are going to feel like side project guitars. You yeah, know? like no. I always really dug the look of what was it a Gretsch had that had the the the, uh, the one he used the with microphone the, with the raconteurs. Yeah, the, the, with the yeah. the green bolt microphone built into it. Like I always thought that was really cool. Does that mean that it's going to have huge collectability? I don't know. No, but I, I'm saying like I think that maybe that guitar would be the equivalent to this. Oh, but like I'm I saying see. like the Telecaster because I know right because now he's it's, playing. It's it's a later yeah in his and career. And even that Rack on Tours one is from like ten years ago. Yeah, I I would even say like maybe his uh, he recorded it. Uh, I think around when Lazaretto came out was that when he was playing. But is, the uh, like, are there uh, music uh, videos? EVH guitar? Are there music videos or documentation of him prancing around playing this guitar? Like, there's videos of the guitars we're talking about. Jack White playing. Where it's there's like, a in, in the actual listing for this. There's a uh, one uh, Rolling Stones looks like a music video or like some kind of Ed Sullivan type. Uh, is this boring? Yes, we've been talking about this for too long. Get, well, us, I, get us out of here. Did we do both our sponsors? We Big, did do both our sponsors. We did Big Ear too? Uh, oh, did I don't I, think we did, did Big I Ear. jump it? I'm sorry. Dang it. Guys, go check out Big Ear Pedals. I'm holding the L right now. I was watching a live stream the other night 
of Grant Wilson himself hand assembling L reverbs in his house with a soldering iron, installing the belt and bricks, doing the soldering, talking at the same time to the camera, being personal, being friendly, being a cool guy. Cause Grant is a cool guy. If you want to be a cool guy or a cool, ga- cool gal, get yourself an L it is kind of like a, a really interesting combination of like a bouncy, springy style reverb mixed with like a lightly modulated, like ambient kind of modern lush sort of reverb. It's a really fun balance. I would squarely put this in the territory of always on reverb. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get this, you're not going to do extreme settings with it. You could, but as an always on reverb, this is a great reverb. So go check it out. Go look for videos of it. And if it tickles your fancy, then go buy one today. All right. Tell us about the song, Steve. All right. Real quick. The only, I, I do want people to name post-1995 artists that have an instrument that might someday be worth more than a million dollars. Because I can only think of John Mayer and Jack White. Am I drawing, okay. am I drawing a blank? Maybe. No, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I think there's going to be people who are, it's, it's all micro niches now. Yeah. I could see like I, a I John could, Frusciani, like under the sure. bridge guitar, but under the bridge was before 1995. So I, I could see people paying big money. You know how prog rockers are and stuff. Yeah. You see people paying big money for like a Tobin Abbasi guitar or something like that. You know, did I say his name wrong? Tobin Abbasi. Yeah. No, okay. You got it right. I got it right. All right. This song is sent by Caleb Laws. Uh, you're not breaking no laws. If you're playing songs by Caleb Laws. Uh, hi guys, here's a tune I produced during lockdown last year. It's an instrumental called Without a Rope. That was my first solo recording project. I played all the guitar parts on a Peter Stevens custom telly thin line with a bunch of fun pedals into a Marshall valve state and finally mashed up in Garage Band. I say Garage Band because he's from Australia. Mm. He wouldn't understand it if you said it the American way. Yeah. And uh, he sent me a link to, or no, that his Bandcamp default goes to a different song. Here we go.
when it first started out, I was picking up like 80s and early 90s like hard-boiled cop detective movie oh, vibes. Yeah. And then it transitioned into like this vibe that shifted back and forth in between like a dark gothy new wave to almost like mm, a mm-hmm. creamy blues sort of thing. Yeah. Like it was going but back it wasn't and forth. like, it didn't feel jumpy, but yeah, I could definitely see what you're saying. At it was the beginning like pulsing and, then, and yeah, but then with the, with the chorus or phaser, whatever it was, that was continuous. It did de- definitely had some like, uh, the cure of forest vibes. Like it's one of those ones where like, you can't really tell. Is this a major or a minor key? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's dark mm-hmm. and moody. Sometimes it feels upbeat and happy. You yeah. know, that's a, that's a fun vi- that's a fun vibe to it. Yeah, good job. All right, bye everyone. S- stay grounded. Stay grounded. <laughs>